Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. And for today's episode, we were joined by Dr. Meredith Temple O'Connor, branch chief of NCAT's Office of Policy, Communication and Education to discuss the center's upcoming strategic plan. This interview was conducted by staff writer researcher, Nikki Henderson. Let's take a listen now. I'm so excited to have Dr. Meredith Temple O'Connor from the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences at the National Institute of Health joining me today. She will be talking about NCAT's 2024 through 2029 strategic plan, how it will enhance the agency's mission, improve patient care, and help agencies better prepare for future health emergencies. So welcome, Meredith. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Sure. Well, before we get started, do you mind introducing yourself and just giving a brief description of your role at NCATS? Sure. So um, as Nikki said, I'm Meredith Temple O'Connor, and I am the director of the science policy branch at NCATS. um, And that involves science policy and legislative policy planning analysis reporting. Um, and a number of different activities for the center. And one of those activities, as we're gonna talk about today, is strategic planning. And that's something that we've been working on for about the past year, Um, a little less, but about the past year or so. So um, I'm excited to be able to fill everyone in on what we've been doing with our strategic plan. Perfect, well, let's jump into our discussion. Meredith, can you please start off by outlining some of the goals of NCAT's 2024 through 2029 strategic plan and how will it advance the agency's mission of achieving health solutions through translational science? Sure. So I probably should back up a little bit um, and give a little bit of context for how we got to where we are as um Many people probably know we have an existing plan. The center has been around for a little over a decade at NIH. And we started the strategic planning process uh, with Dr. Rudder. She's our director, Dr. Joni Rudder, with her vision of more treatments for all people more quickly. And we've really used that as an anchor to the strategic planning process. So um, strategic plans, we typically at NIH do about every five years uh, for an institute or center. Um, And forgive me if I fall into um, um, NIH jargon, but an IC is an institute or center. And um, we were lucky enough that Dr. Rudder had been our deputy director before she became the permanent director of the center. And really during her tenure as the acting director before she was named as the permanent director had developed really this vision of more treatments for all people more quickly. That gave us the ability as we launched the strategic plan to kind of already have an anchor of a vision, which was great. With it, she had developed several what we call audacious goals. And I do want to be clear, these are different than the goals that we're developing for the strategic plan. Um, But they are part of it, right? They're broken up as the more treatment for all people more quickly, sort of the three parts. And um, those audacious goals, for example, are things like a five-fold increase in the number of diseases with treatments and development. That is a very audacious goal. 
And so it's important to sort of say it is audacious. We know that she knows that we recognize that. But again, it's still part of the framework of what we're using as as our strategic plan. It just won't be a strategic plan goal. Um, but we used the her vision and those audacious goals as sort of a base with which to then embark on a major engagement effort with both our internal and external groups and the general public over the past, I'd say, nine months or so. Um, and that's led to 44, you know, kind of formal meetings, uh, well over a thousand people that we've engaged and almost, um, you know, well over 1,700 unique comments that we've gotten back as as feedback. And that has then um, emerged into sort of some thematic areas of, of feedback that have come from both our internal and external conversations. A lot of common ground across both the, the, the internal and external conversations as we looked at all of the feedback collectively. And we just presented recently on this in our at our advisory council. Um, and that has emerged into draft goals, which are now out in a request for information or an RFI. And not surprisingly, as we started looking at the feedback we got from the different groups, we really didn't go in with more than her vision and those audacious goals. But as we really looked at the themes that were starting to emerge and really considered the feedback in totality, her vision really created a nice framework to develop the actual draft goals. So what folks may see as they look at the draft goals that the first three really track quite closely to her vision of more treatments for all people more quickly. And then we have um, a fourth goal that's really thinks about the cross-cutting nature of many of the things we want to think about in the translational science space. And a fifth goal that's focused on the stewardship, which as you know, public stewards of funds is something that is very important for all of NIH and NCATS as well to be thinking about. So I hope that sort of outlines um, sort of where we are and how we got to where we are right now with, with where we are with the RFI out on the street. Yes, that was perfect. Thank you so much for breaking that down for us. Good. I really appreciate it. Well, when comparing NCAT's current strategic plan and the new strategic plan, what are some of the differences between them and how will the new plan ensure getting more treatments to more patients in a timelier manner? Okay. So first I will say when you have a new director, um, a, a new strategic plan can present an opportunity to present their vision. So that's certainly a goal. Um, also uh, the center was maturing as an organization and it really was time for us to take an assessment of where we were and where we were headed. So we had the kind of double opportunity to both have a new director with a new vision and sort of the time that was ripe for us to look at ourselves and reflect back and, and craft a new plan. But I will say um, many of the core tenants of the prior plan still apply. Um, particularly the principles that underlie translational science. And one of the things I, I thought was good to stress here is that the feedback from our listening sessions also included keeping an eye on our prior plan, you know, 
basically don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Um, there's a lot there. And so not to lose sight of the value of that plan. So um, folks may be surprised or not surprised to see that there'll be a, a fair amount of, you know, potential similarity. The themes, if you look at the draft goals and the themes in our RFI that's out publicly, you will see similarities to the existing plan. Um, I think some of the differences uh, might be in the tactical approaches we ultimately take. That may not be necessarily reflected in the actual plan because of course it's a strategic plan. So it's more about the strategy than the tactics, but that will be reflected in the implementation as we move forward in the years to come. Um, and so, you know, that's, those are some of the pieces where it might be different, but I think there will be, they will track to each other. Um, I think it's just that now we're a more mature organization and we have the opportunity to build on what we've learned in the last decade. And we had COVID, which I, I you know, I think we've all learned a tremendous amount about science and about ourselves from that we also have uh, you know, have had the opportunity to learn from. And so all of that taken together will will inform this this new plan. So I hope that's helpful. Oh, very much so. I'm glad that you explained that there are similarities and there are differences, but actually that they kind of complement each other. So yeah. thank you so much for that. Well, how will NCAT's new strategic plan help to bridge the gap between scientific and operational challenges in translational science? So um, it's interesting. I'm a scientist by training. Um, so I, I kind of came into the planning process and came to NCATS readily thinking about a lot of the scientific roadblocks that affect translation. But there are all, also a lot of operational ones as well. So we really see both scientific and operational kind of um, similarly in terms of how we want to tackle them in our strategic plan and in our tactical plans um, for working on the roadblocks uh, for translation. Um, I think the plan itself will take an approach that considers both and considers both in the context of NCATS as an organization. Um, similar to our last plan, I think it's about identifying where those challenges exist and engaging our staff and our external partners to understand um, how we can, uh, you know, kind of leverage uh, opportunities that exist right now um, in the translational science space. Uh, Dr. Rudder has talked a lot about co-designing this plan, and she really means it. So that's why the engagement's been a huge part of what we've done and continue to do. Um, and, and why we have that is such a, a robust part of our, our strategy at the center of our, our, our planning efforts. Um, and so I think getting that feedback, I, I mean, I'm going to pause for a second and say there are lots of roadblocks in translational science. It can feel overwhelming to all of us that are in this space. And so I think one of the things our strategic plan and one of the things we think about at the center all the time is how do we get feedback on an ongoing basis from our constituents, if you will, about what we can prioritize, what to prioritize when, what's right to work on, where those opportunities exist, and then how does that inform developing our strategies and our tactics? And that's where our plan comes in and why that engagement was 
so important to us to make sure we were in sync and listening to, you know, our our staff and our our external, um, you know, constituents, if you will. So, so I think all of that will come together to help us bridge those gaps that you were asking about. Um, but I think, you know, it hopefully if we do it right and. We are trying to do it in a way that's continually checking in with those constituents. It'll be in a way that that enables us to prioritize and check in on an ongoing basis. So another piece of this is, you know, Dr. Rudder and I have had lots of conversations and conversations with the broader strategic planning team. This is not meant to be a strategic plan we put on the shelf for five years and then come back and pull off and go, so how do we do? We really want to be using this as a guide and something we're checking in with ourselves and with our constituents on in real time or close to real time all along the way. So I think that's where it really becomes a guide um, that helps us sort of bridge that gap, if you will, as you asked. Right. And Meredith, that's perfect. Like I loved when you talked about the engagement and the value of feedback. I mean, that's really, it makes sense. That's going to help bridge that gap. Um, Absolutely. Scientific and operational challenges. Well, what role will emerging technologies play when it comes to developing innovations that will reduce costly and time-consuming barriers in translational research? Mm -hmm. So I have two pieces that I want to think about for, for this question. The first is, you know, certainly emerging technologies innovations can play a very important role in addressing barriers to translation. And we already work in a number of these areas that I think you'll see and our, our constituents will see reflected in um, the strategic plan. Areas like high throughput screening, platform approaches to developing and testing therapeutics and approaches to leveraging things like artificial intelligence and machine learning or large scale data informatics approaches. So those are some of the spaces, not all, um, that we think about and we're working on, you know, in, in sort of emerging tech and, and innovation spaces. Um, but I also would be remiss if I didn't point out that there are potential solutions to barriers in translation that may not necessarily rely on emerging technologies, but that we also see as very important, such as how do we work with and partner with our communities, patients, academia, and industry, among others, and in different ways to foster more effective research, especially clinical trials. Um, how do we gain access to potential shelved drugs that could be repurposed for other uses? Um, or even refinement of processes. So back to that question you asked, there might be some folks that are going, well, what are operational challenges that affect translation? Those can be things like refining processes in a clinical trial, like how institutional review boards are involved in the processes and procedures that they need to be involved in setting up the clinical trial. Patient safety, patient protections are super important. Um, but sometimes those processes for how they function can kind of bog, bog us down. Um, so a single IRB, um, which is a policy and process that's been in place now uh, at NIH for a number of years is one way that we have looked at uh, refining some of those processes. Thinking about consent processes, are there ways we can streamline that that not only make the process happen faster, but actually might foster the involvement of better and more diverse populations um, so that we speed 
time to getting to a trial and actually get more of the patients we want engaged and participating in trials as well. So I think it's going to take both, right? We want the emerging tech and the innovations, those certainly things like tackling big data, which I'm personally very passionate about and how to bring real world data into the research enterprise are gonna be really important, but there's also gonna be other pieces like patient engagement and community engagement that, that are gonna be important too. And, and I think both will be reflected in our plan. Perfect, that sounds great. Well, in what ways will the new strategic plan help to better equip agencies to handle future health emergencies like COVID-19? Okay, so first, I can't speak for other agencies. I can only speak for NCATS in, inside NIH. Um, but I will say, I think our plan can serve as a guide and an anchor for our tactical approaches, right? It'll be about our strategies, um, you know, in the, in the translational science space. But when COVID emerged and other public health emergencies before it, like Zika and opioid, NCATS was really already quite well positioned to respond. So I think a plan can be, a strategic plan can be a good component to help with that, but I don't think it's gonna be the only thing, right? Um, I think it's about being in a state of readiness and having the right programs in place that can enable a rapid response. So for example, we have approaches that prioritize platform technologies. We leverage data science in our programs, and we're always thinking about our approaches and our, our programs in terms of many diseases at a time. I think that sort of philosophy, if you will, that sort of baseline to who we are and kind of our identity and solving translational science um, challenges, I, I think that really helps enable the readiness to be ready to work on these, these, these public health crises when they emerge. And they will continue to emerge. I, I think that's clear. Um, I think we're experienced at looking at things from different lenses. It's one of the things that makes it interesting and exciting to work at NCATS is, is we are open and flexible and willing to think out of the box a little bit um, at, at how to overcome these translational science pro programs. And so many of our programs were kind of ready to be rapidly deployed or Things we had been thinking about on paper were sort of poised and ready to go or pretty close to ready to go when, when COVID hit. And so I think now we learned a lot in the COVID space that can now inform um, our future programs, our ongoing programs. And, and I think Dr. Rutter and the leadership team are thinking about that on a daily basis. And I think that will certainly be taken up into the fabric of our strategic plan as, as well. So, right. Well, yes, like you said, um, a state of readiness. I mean, I think COVID-19 just, it turned everyone's lives upside down. And I think that there are so many lessons learned from that and being ready is, is key. So, indeed, indeed. <laughs> well, NCATS, uh, the new strategic plan will soon become a reality once it's rolled out in January. So are there any other upcoming tech or data initiatives that you're excited to talk about? Um, so the short answer is yes. Um, you know, I will say this probably more than we have time to talk about. So I would say definitely for your listeners to keep an eye on our website. Um, there's always new things coming out 
and exciting programs that our, our uh, staff are thinking up. Um, it's, it really is uh, a, a fun place to work and lots of interesting programs. Um, I was thinking about you know, what to highlight and uh, I can give a couple of examples. I, I would say at a high level, um, I've already sort of tipped my, my uh, um, hand in saying I'm very passionate about uh, real world data and the potential it has. Um, I think part of that's because in some of my other roles as the director of the science policy branch, we've thought a lot about the policy implications of using real world data in a research um, framework and working especially with electronic health records. I think that's a huge space to come and one that NCATS is working on in a lot of different places. So we have a program in our division of rare diseases research innovation um, that's moving into its second phase of funding that's working on shortening the diagnostic odyssey for rare diseases. Rare diseases are a, a core part of our identity at NCATS and, and a major area we work on. And um, shortening the diagnostic odyssey is a huge objective in the rare disease space. It's a huge pain point. The burden of rare diseases is very large as we've found in recent research that we've been involved in. And um, leveraging data and machine learning approaches in kind of real world settings to sort of understand what's out there in sort of the clinic that we can pull together to kind of find the signals in the noise, so to speak, and try to shorten the diagnostic odyssey could really have huge impacts for people. Um, I think anyone who has somebody in their family or a friend who has a rare disease knows that this odyssey can be quite, quite long and arduous and expensive and burdensome and stressful. Uh, from a lot of different angles, but certainly from the patient and the caregiver's perspectives. And so working to shorten that, I think, is is an exciting area that, that we work on from a number of angles, but certainly from this program's perspective, using sort of those tech and innovation and data sort of strategies. The other is the N3C program. Um, it started out in COVID as a way of, of creating a platform for electronic health records. Uh, and it was focused on COVID, but now we're thinking about ways to broaden that out to a more clinical platform. Um, one is to partner with the ARPA-H team. And we had a visit with them back in the winter and we brainstormed ways that we could work together with our complementary missions and very excited um, that recently it was announced that we're going to be partnering with them and a few other institutes and centers at NIH on a biomedical data fabric toolbox, where a lot of the work we worked on in N3C and other institutes and centers have been working on with, with other um, you know, assets, data assets, can come together to sort of work on this and together um, collectively in, in this space. So I think that's another really exciting area. And, um, and then another space that we work on is the biomedical data translator. That's in our um, Office of Drug Development Partnership Programs. And tra Translator is a program that's focused on um, really pulling together sort of compartmentalized data across different diseases and disciplines and using sort of AI-guided knowledge mapping to pull really 
disparate types of data together and try to make sense of it um, across different sources. That's really hard because a lot of times in the science and in medicine, things can be very compartmentalized. So it's like, how do we do that? How do we pull things together across and use, you know, informatics and AI and big, you know, big data approaches to get our arms around that, so to speak. So I, I think these are just some examples of a number of different exciting programs we have in, you know, tech and data, but but they were the ones that I, you know, that kind of came to mind um, for, for me. So. Wow. Well, Mary, that is very exciting. I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing what all comes out of this. And I have heard of the N3C program, and I'm excited that that is going to be expanded. That's really cool. And about your partnership with ARPA-H, that's exciting as well. Well, before we conclude, uh, do you have any final comments or remarks that you would like to leave with our listeners? I would just say stay tuned. Stay engaged with us. We want to hear from you um, about our strategic plan um, now. The RFI is open until November 1st, um, but we also have a mailbox. And, um, and you can get that information off of our website. If you Google NCAT strategic plan, it pops you right to our, our website for it. We have a mailbox there that'll be open you know, now until forever, um, where we'll always take feedback. And, um, and then of course, you know, we'll be keeping folks updated there on the website through our advisory council meetings um, as to, you know, the kind of the rollout of the plan. And then we still want to hear from our, from our, from folks that are interested in us. And if you have questions or concerns, we're open and we, we want to hear what people are thinking about. And if you have ideas, we want to hear that too. So we're very excited about this time and Dr. Rudder is as well. And just thank you very much for the opportunity to come and tell everybody about the exciting work we're doing. I feel like we barely scratched the surface. We get to do some really neat things. Our scientists and the investigators we fund outside of NCATS do some really neat research and are making a difference. And that's what's really important to us. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that was great. I really enjoyed our conversation. You gave some really great information and it's just, I'm excited to see what the future holds for the agency. And I hope that maybe I can re reconnect with you later down the road and, and you can give us some updates. That um, sounds great. We'd love that. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks so much for inviting us. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com dot com.